morning, everybody. I, too, want to say how excited I am. Thank you, Adam, for being in this place. It just feels like a special day, uh, mainly because of mothers. Okay, we'll start there. Happy Mother's Day everywhere, every, every mother in, in the room. I'm wearing my pink polo to, to celebrate. Uh, my mother-in-law came over with pink, and my wife's wearing pink, so I got the memo. Um, but, but happy Mother's Day. We hope it's an especially uh, honoring day for you. Uh, it's a day that uh, is, is, is special, um, and so we're, we're sure grateful for, for, for you. Uh, today's message is a little bit more, uh, it's, it's not so much a Mother's Day message directly as it is a Mother's Day message indirectly. Uh, we've been in this series where we're talking about cultivating character. And so uh, if you've been paying attention, you, you may have noticed from the beginning that when I started looking through this series of traits that are found in Galatians 5, I've been working my way through them, I skipped over one of the most important, dare I say, most important of all the character traits found there in that list that we looked at the first day in Galatians 5. We've looked at joy, we've looked at peace, we've looked at patience, but I skipped over love. And that was very intentional. I was saving it for Mother's Day because if there's any group of people in our society that represent love, uh, it has to be mothers. And so uh, this, this day is about Mother's Day, if, if indirectly, as we speak about love. But I always chuckle this time of year because, I, I, because I'll remember a time when I met up with a pastor friend of mine who uh, is in the area. And uh, Mother's Day was coming up and I asked him, what, were you, what are you planning to preach? And he kind of gave me a blank stare kind of one of this uh uh-oh looks. Uh, This is a very planful guy. He always plans his series months and months in advance. And uh, I I was inadvertently telling him that Mother's Day was coming. He hadn't factored that into his plans. And I said, so what are you preaching? And he said, "Uh, I'm in a tough series, uh, tough questions uh, series, where we talk about like hard topics in the Christian faith. And uh, Mother's Day, is that the next week? I said, yeah. He's like, yeah, that one's topic that day is hell. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm preaching on hell. I was like, are you going to stick with it? He's like, I'm going to stick with it. I don't know if that's the b- best part of the story or the worst part of the story, but he preached on hell on Mother's Day. So I've always thought, you know what, if we're going to cover anything, <laughs> you know, even closely related to Mother's Day, we're, we're doing okay. Today, we're focusing on love. And that text that uh, Cindy just read for us, I think in that, Jesus' main topic is, is cultivating love in adversity. So love through adversity. How can we cultivate love through adversity? Let me say a quick prayer for, for our time in the, in the scripture today, and then we'll, and then we'll jump in. Father, uh, we, we, we also pray that you would just be with us as we get into your, your word today. Would you please give us your spirit to understand what you have in front of us, that we might uh, be changed in the way you, you call us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so how to cultivate love in adversity or through adversity. Uh, the first thought here Jesus is talking about, we, we see it at kind of a more high level, is, is that he wants us to expect adversity. Okay, when it comes to adversity, he wants us to, 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 number one, expect it. And where I see that in the text is the fact that he repeats one word over and over again. In fact, over 10 times in a short uh, sequence of, of, of order. And Jesus, from time to time, when he's out teaching with his disciples or out with the crowds, he would repeat words and make, you know, a point of emphasis. But here he repeats this one word over 10 times in just a short sequence of, of events. And that word, of course, is, is the word in our translation to remain. Jesus says, remain any number of times. In verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. 
You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 7, remain in me, and my words will remain in you. Remain in my love, verse 9. Again, over, over 10 times. And under what circumstances might we be called to do something like remain, but under challenging circumstances, under when we're facing adversity? And if at the time when Jesus said these words to his disciples, he was in his last few hours with them. He was getting ready to go to the cross. Does that sound familiar to you? We've actually spent a lot of time in this section of scripture in this series. It's called the Upper Room Discourse, theologians call it. It's John 13 through chapter 17. It's this wonderful text of of teaching that Jesus has in his precious last few hours with his disciples. And it's no accident that we're in it today. As we've been going through these character traits, there's a lot of texts we could turn to to consider love. But we've been in this little section over and over again because Jesus emphasized a lot of the fruit of the Spirit or these wonderful character traits in this very upper room discourse. So for instance, we looked at peace in chapter 14. We looked at joy in chapter 16. And today we're in chapter 15 looking at love. Jesus cares so much about the fruit of the Spirit, these wonderful character traits that God is growing inside of those who follow him to the degree that he wanted to include them in his last words to him, uh, to his disciples right before he went to the cross. And here he's saying, when it comes to cultivating love, we've got to remain. We've got to expect adversity. And for his disciples then and there, they were getting ready to go through the ringer, right? You know the story. When Jesus was arrested in the garden a little bit later, all his disciples would scatter. They'd flee running for their lives. Why? Because they figured, well, if they're arresting Jesus and they're getting ready to crucify Jesus, then our lives are probably at stake here. Who's to say they wouldn't arrest us, kill us? And then even after things died down and they got to see the risen Lord after his resurrection and things died down for a little bit, the disciples' lives were actually marked with a lot of adversity. And if you're here on Easter, you know, we talked about history shows that all but one of Jesus' closest disciples were martyred for their faith. Now, we might not face adversity to the degree that they faced it then in our culture today and and where we live today, although plenty of of Christians around the world do. Uh, There's this calling through these disciples to us today that sometimes we need to remain. And part of that is just understanding we need to expect adversity. I was on YouTube this week. Sometimes I go there to kind of decompress. And you know how the algorithm works. It'll just give you little video clips of what it thinks you want or what it knows you want. I don't know how it all works. But anyways, I got this little clinical psychologist interview on there. I've been watching philosophy and psychology uh, uh, video on there. And this clinical psychologist was being interviewed, covering a lot of ground. It was was fascinating to me. But at one point, this professor, this clinical psychologist, got really animated about something that he just felt like he had to impart to the audience. He's just like, people need to understand, and this is what he said, that life is hard. Now, that might sound kind of like a straightforward thought. But he said, no, people need to understand especially people living in modern Western society, that life is challenging. And here's what he meant by that. He said, I've had over the, over the years and decades of psychological practice and just from tons and tons of research, he just understands that our baseline assumption as a society tends to be that life ought not to be hard. And when it is hard, well, then something's off. Something's not going right. And as a clinical psychologist, he's like, we need to understand, people need to understand, especially in our society, that no, if anything, the baseline assumption should be that life is hard, 
Most of the world understands that. We need to understand that life is hard. It's going to come with challenges. We need to expect adversity is, is, is what he was saying in his own words. Or think about it from a Christian perspective. Just in March, a pastor uh, who I've followed and read a lot of, a lot of his works uh, wrote an article that was published in The Atlantic uh, entitled, Growing My Faith in the Face of Death. Recently, this pastor had been diagnosed with late-stage cancer, and he was talking about in this article about a number of things, but one of those things was how he had to begin to wrestle with the very words of comfort and promise that he would often, over the years, give to his own congregants when they were facing suffering or facing death. And now, as he was struggling with this from a real personal standpoint, he was having to work through, do I really hold to this? And more or less what he was saying in the article is it's been, a, it's been an experience of God helping him move truths that he's known in his mind down into his heart. And one of the things he said was one of, the, the reason why it's been especially hard for him is he didn't anticipate how much he wasn't expecting adversity. And that was kind of the deal for him. He said he and his wife are now approaching 70 years old and they just, they just figured they had more time and sure, surely something like this was going to happen eventually to them, but not so soon. And so it kind of sideswiped him. He was left wrestling with it, trying to figure it out. And he found comfort in understanding that that's, this is what Jesus calls us to, to remain. We need to expect adversity. So whether you're in the middle of adversity right now, in a close relationship, say in a marriage, family, with, with kids, in the workplace, you know, with your health or a combination of, of factors, or whether adversity at some point is, is there in the future, Jesus calls us to remain. And, and part of that is just not being caught off guard necessarily by it and choosing to press into him, hold on to him. So high-level thought, Jesus says expect, expect adversity. Now I think we get really into the heart of the matter uh, of our text. He says, number two, embrace adversity. Verses one through two say, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Uh, if I'm real with you, I have a little bit of mixed emotions when it comes to this statement. Uh, I really love this thought that every branch that bears fruit will bear even more. Love that. But it's a little harder to think about how every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And notice, by the way, it doesn't say some of the branches that are bearing fruit, he prunes. Every branch that's bearing fruit, he prunes. And then what about that pruning part? Well, even my limited knowledge before kind of researching it made me understand that that's probably not a fun process necessarily. Again, I went to consult YouTube to learn a little bit more about pruning. And I came across this video that was really helpful of a professor walking out in, in this vineyard among the rows of, of vines. And it was incredible. She was out there walking and they were videotaping her as she was kind of like walking towards the camera. And it was a field, a vineyard that was not yet pruned. So everything was just utter chaos. And that's actually what struck me. I never really, I've always, in my mind, think of these idyllic pictures of vineyards just perfectly like, you know, already set. But, but actually before they're pruned, they're just in all sorts of disarray, utter chaos. And here's what the professor said in describing the pruning process. And I just thought it was hilarious in light of like what we're talking about in Jesus's words here. She said at one point that, uh, as you can tell, the pruning process is going gonna, is gonna to be intense here. These branches need love, yes, and quote, an awful lot of abuse in order to finally get into shape. Now, Jesus is not talking about abusive pruning here, but the point is, it's an intense process, this pruning. And actually, modern 
pruning tools are themselves intense. You've got pruning shears, which are essentially these like massive spring-loaded scissors that can just take out branches, you know. Then you have, uh, let's see here, you have what are called loppers. Uh, from my humble uh, layman's perspective, just look like massive lock cutters. And then you have shearing saws, which the professor said, and I quote again, for those really stubborn branches. It's like, it's like are, we getting the, are we getting the idea of the pruning process? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. The pruning process is intense, but what is the result? He, he goes on to say, so that it will be even more fruitful. The process, of course, is leading towards a beautiful vineyard for a a wonderful harvest. And what Jesus is saying is expect adversity, but also embrace adversity. And one of the really encouraging thoughts that came to me as I was doing my study this week is the fact that Jesus says God prunes those that are already fruitful, right? I mean, there's, there's fruit on the front end and there's fruit on the back end. Meaning if he's doing this, he, he not only loves you and cares for you, but he's doing it in order to position you to be fruitful. Now, what does it mean to be fruitful? Take a few moments to talk about that. Uh, there's a couple of things it means. But for starters, it's kind of like what we're talking about in our series when it comes to developing character. The fruit of the Spirit growing inside of us. In other words, these traits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these wonderful character traits growing in us such that even in the midst of adversity, we're not only holding strong, but we're also able to love and care for those around us. Serve and think of others, love and care for them. So part of that is just, just the inward growth, or to use it in more biblical terms, growing into increasingly the likeness of Jesus. So that's part of what it means to be fruitful. But number two, we see in our text, verse 8, eight, Jesus says, this is for the glory of the Father. I mean, that's just to say, when we do these things, when we hold on to him, it brings God glory, makes him proud, it brings him delight, which is, which is wonderful. Uh, I was out on the, on the baseball field the other day, I got roped into coaching nine and 10 year olds, and one of uh, the catchers uh, you know, missed the ball. We have, we have one pitcher who's just a stud. He throws a, so he probably throws a 10 miles an hour faster than every other kid. Nobody can hit him, that kind of thing. So it's also scary to catch for him, that kind of deal. And the catcher missed one. We put our like best catcher just to kind of like for safety reasons. And he missed one and it kind of clipped him in the shoulder. And we're talking tears. And man, I, I feel, I would have, I would have been feeling that one type deal. But he got up and, you know, he, he took him some, some, some times to just kind of work it through. He had tears coming down, but then he just kind of shook it off and said, Hey, you know, you're doing great pitch, keep pitching. And just encouraging the pitcher who just kind of hurt him. And I'm sitting here like, you better believe his dad was super proud of him in that moment. All of us coaches were like, he's getting the game ball. And sure enough, at the end of the game, he got the, he got the game ball. I mean, here, I mean, think about that. Now, no, no father or coach would want a kid to go through that. But if and when they're going through that, if, you know, to the extent they remain, it's like, okay, wow. And now think about it like when we, and of course we're imperfect in this and we're growing in this, but God's exceedingly gracious in this. But when we move and become more like Jesus and we're about his things, it brings glory to our father. It makes him happy, gives him delight, brings a smile to his face. That's, that's fruitful. And then verse 16, Jesus says kind of an all-encompassing thought. He says, this is all for fruit that will last and if we're going to include into things, things that will last, we've got to include into that helping people know about Jesus. Come to know and put, put their faith in him. 
I mean, really, what Jesus is saying in a nutshell here is when we're pruned, while it can be painful, yes, God is helping position us to have greater impact for things that are eternal, things that will last, things that will never be taken away. Now, this makes me think, and I know I'm going to jump metaphor here, but it makes me think of, you know, going under the surgeon's knife, for instance. Like, we don't want to just go under any knife, right? I mean, we don't want to have anything to do with knives getting anywhere near us, but when it comes to having a wound that we can't recover from on our own, uh, we'd be willing to put ourselves under the surgeon's knife at that point, and it's painful, and it takes recovery and all that sort of thing, but it's, it's, it's for our good. And this is where I think this can help us take heart in all of this, because we, we can see in the midst of, of adversity, if, if God is pruning us, we're not just in any surgeon's hands. Or to come back to our original metaphor. We're not just in any gardener's hands when it comes to pruning. Jesus said in verse 1, my father is the gardener. And if you think about an expert pruner, is that, is that a word? You know, gardener going out there to, to prune, they're going to not ever take away too much off the branch, right? Nor are they going to not take off enough in order to enable that branch to grow. But how much more so are we well taken care of in our heavenly father's hands. He, he doesn't just want to prune us because he loves us and cares for us. He wants to also position us, even as we are fruitful, to become more fruitful for eternal things. Now, where does this come down into real life? Like, what, what does this mean? What does this look like in, in the real world? Well, last week I mentioned how marriages have taken a hit or have been a lot more tried and tested during shelter in place. We talked a little bit about that, right? And it makes sense. I mean, we're kind of all, you know, kind of cramped up, can't, can't really get out. There's a lot of more stress and pressures. Like a lot of marriages are really feeling it. Cindy and I have been working through things. A lot of people are working through things. Cindy and I are having conversations with more people in the church. Then it's just, it's just, it's natural. It makes sense. And we talked a little bit about last week how Paul, the apostle, says in 1 Corinthians 7 that you just need to understand that marriage is going to be hard. And that's more or less what he said. That's his own way of saying expect adversity when it comes to marriage. Why? Because you could marry the love of your life, but it's still two broken, flawed people coming together trying to work it out. There's going to be times where it's going to, it's going to be hard. And how does that look? Well, we have rough edges. By definition of being people, we have rough edges. And you want to, you know, start to feel grinded on those rough edges? Be married. <laughs> As it's wonderful, it's, you know, Working out those rough edges is a bit of a pruning process, wouldn't you say? And if you think about it, how often are we (laughs) seen where we need to be pruned, but for our spouse essentially becoming a mirror, right? And they don't even have to say the words, well, you're just this and this. They just have to like, you know, live and be, and, and we'll start to see more clearly, even for our own selves without being told, where we are flawed, where we struggle with things like patience, Love, joy, peace, forgiveness, humility, and all the rest of it. But what's also hard is when we go through a pruning process, say in marriage, to stick with that, is what we could easily do, and I've, had, I've talked to a lot of therapists about this, and, and just about every therapist has, has, has told me, yeah, this is the case. What's really easy for us to do is to look to see that the issue is actually in the other person and on ourselves. Now, I'm in no way saying that the other person in a marriage doesn't necessarily have their own issues. I'm just saying it's really easy to say, well, it's them, it's not me. In other words, what are we doing? We're not really embracing adversity. We're not really embracing the pruning process. 
Which is to say, regardless of where they're at, the issues that they have, there's probably something here God wants to work in me to help me cultivate things like love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, even if things are really, really hard or whatever it might be. God wants to prune you in me. And he wants us to expect diversity. He wants us to embrace us. And then he gets into the second part of our text today. Really two points of application, two ways that we can really kind of lean into this. And really, these are the two exhortations that he gives in this text. Number one, he says, remain in my love. That's one of the things he repeats over and over again. Expect adversity, embrace adversity, and here's how you do it in part. Remain in my love, he says. And this is so key. This is so foundational. It almost seems so easy to miss or easy not to live from. But really what Jesus is all about and what the scriptures say God is all about is he wants to be in personal relationship with you and me. In other words, God doesn't come at us first with a list of here's what I want you to do. Here's my expectations. Here's what I, but rather that we would remain in him. We'd be in personal relationship with him. I've had any number of conversations down the years with people looking at the looking into the Christian faith and trying to figure out what it means and specifically what it means for them. And any number say something like, uh, to me, something like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically there. I, I think I believe. I think I'm ready to be a Christian. But can you help me understand what's it going to mean for my life? What changes am I going to have to do? Like what? And I know what they're doing. They're, they're trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's this going to mean for ourselves? But you know, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says that if we approach it that way, we're actually missing what it's all about. Because Jesus doesn't want so much your time on Sunday mornings. Or so much, you know, the, the tithe that you give. Or how you, you, you view sex outside of marriage. Or, or, or whatever the case might be. He doesn't necessarily like want those per se, as he cares a lot about those things scriptures speak about. He wants you. Uh, listen to how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, the Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't, want so, I don't so much want your time, so much your money, so much your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your ordinary self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Or to put in the language of our text today, Jesus is saying to become my followers, to make me your vine. Make me your true vine. Jesus is saying, I want to be the reason you do everything. I want to be your life. Now, that can seem scary, but it's actually the most wonderful and liberating thing. To remain in Jesus and his words and follow him for him, trusting him. What do I mean by that? How does that look? Well, take, for instance, the example of forgiveness. I think as a society, as a culture, we all love the concept of forgiving others. I mean, generally speaking, we, we like that idea, like forgiveness is a good thing. But then we go through something that's really hard and especially is something especially we care about and then we don't really want to forgive or we have a hard time forgiving. But if we remain in Jesus and his words remain in us, we'll know that Jesus calls us to forgive regardless of whatever justification we give it. For instance, whether they're worthy or deserving of forgiveness, which 
Frankly, if you think about it, that's often why I don't forgive or at least have struggled with forgiving. It's happening at the subconscious level. It's like, oh, I'm I'm calculating. I'm like, I, I don't think they deserve my forgiveness. But if we remain in Jesus and we let him dictate it, even though we're like, oh, I just don't want it, it's, 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 it's hard. Going to forgive someone that you don't really want to forgive or having a hard time forgive, that's a pruning process. But it's also one of the most freeing process. Uh, who is it? Augustine who said, and this is going to be a bit of a paraphrase, not forgiving others is like drinking poison and watching to wait to see the effects hurting the other. Not forgiving is basically is drinking poison, waiting for the other person to like feel the effects of it. When we don't forgive, it affects us. God knows all of this. He's our creator. He, he knows all of this. And he wants us to choose to forgive. Even when we think, well, I just, I've determined in this area with, or with this person, I don't really want to forgive. Are, are you following here? And that's how it works with him in, in all senses. He wants us to remain in him, trust him. Let him be the source of our life. Let him be the source of, uh, be, to be our vine. He says we need to remain in him, remain in his love, which is so wonderful because the promise of Jesus is not just, hey, do this because, well, I just expect it of you. It's do this because I've done this for you. I mean, that, that's really the gospel. The good news is Jesus calls us to all these wonderful character traits, these fruit of the Spirit that he has done for us. And you want to talk about pruning? Jesus on the cross wasn't just pruned. I mean, we're talking about somebody who is fruitful. Well, let's put it that way, infinitely fruitful. Didn't need to be pruned to be more fruitful. And yet on the cross, he, he, he died for the sins of the world. What was that all about? That wasn't a pruning. Isaiah, writing hundreds of years, prophesied about Christ going on the cross and says, said it this way. He will on the cross not be pruned. He, on the cross, he, he will be cut off. Jesus was cut off such that we could be grafted in to the true vine. And so, therefore, when we receive his forgiveness, we can begin to forgive. Because why? He forgives us when we don't deserve it. Or I've shared in this series that I, I've struggled, you know, I'm working on patience. I can be patient because when I look to God being patient first for me and let that fill me and, and all the rest of it, we are to remain in him, look to him, trust him, the one who laid down his life to give us life, not just eternal life, but life here and now if we would just remain in him and his love. And then number two, he says in verses 12 and and 17, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So so love one another. Again, Jesus, and really all the the scriptures show that God is, is saying at the core, what matters most is relationship, first with himself, but then also with one another. And that just makes sense when it comes to the pruning process that that would happen within community. I mean, right? I mean, we're going to be pruned when we interact with other people, especially people who are less like ourselves or see things differently than ourselves. When we, when we rub shoulders, when we have to bear with the shortcomings of others, when others have to bear with our shortcomings. If I could summarize his thought here and where he says this, um, uh, this thought in many places, I think what Jesus is saying is you need others and others need you. You know, one of the things uh, as, a, as a pastor that, that frankly makes me most nervous about a year plus of being in shelter place, sheltered in place, not only in the short term, but also the, the longer term, is the effects of that in terms of like our own well-being and where we're at in terms of not having been 
close in community, or at least coming out of that, what that's going to look like. Because this last year has been wonderful to have the online resources and virtual ways to connect, and we have Zoom for, for groups and all that sort of thing, and, and that's wonderful, and we're sure grateful that we have the means to do that. But we all know it's not the same. And I would just humbly encourage, especially those still online, um, as things continue to rephase, if it's no longer an issue of health, but now more an issue, or it becomes more of an issue of habit, just getting used to doing church at home, I would just gently encourage you to think about, as it makes sense and you have opportunity to, to come back, because the church is the church in community, in fellowship. And we have to remain in His love, and we do that when we love one another and do this in, in fellowship. And I think, from, from my humble perspective, it seems to me we can underestimate the fact how much we need to be in community and around folks. And, and also, we can underestimate how much God wants to use us in community with those around us. It's incredible to me, and I feel like this has been a wonderful case study as we've been rephasing, and we're seeing more people start to come back and more, and I just, like my jaw is hurting Sunday afternoons because I'm smiling so much, which is such a shame because it's happening all behind a big mask. But like, I'm just, I'm just so happy to see folks that we haven't seen in so much time just to hear how you're doing, how we're doing it to share. Often what I think we can, what we think is happening is we're serving the Lord when we just move things around. And by the way, that, that is happening. Thank you teams for moving things around to let us be able to do this. But there's also just so much intangible ministry happening when we just ask, how are you doing? And just have a warm interaction with folks. And I could give countless of examples of people being like, man, that really made a big difference. And we've been missing that for a whole year in, in certain respects. And so we need to press into that. I think about the kids and their development, let alone spiritually development, how they've been away from in-person in class, but also in, 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 you know, in the Sunday school. Where we have an awesome team working on that. And hey, we're trying to figure out all the pieces. We're going to do it safely and why. And, and, and there's no pressure here. I'm just saying, but these are things we've got to be mindful of and caring for. And Jesus says this all over the place. We've got to love one another. We've got to find ways to do that. So verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And then verse 12, my command to this, love each other as I loved you. So in closing, as, as, the, as the band makes their way up, uh, really we look to Jesus, of course. Jesus loved us to the point of giving us his life. Jesus loved to the point of putting up with other shortcomings, like ourselves included, he could do this with people who frankly were not deserving of it, which, which is us. How? Because he is the vine and, and God the Father is the gardener and he is in the business of cultivating a wonderful vineyard of love. I mean, that's just an incredible thought here. That's what God wants and, he, and that takes pruning. There's a reality to that. It takes pruning and I think we all understand that. We all know our, our shortcomings and falling and failings, and, and, and it, God needs to work this up in, in us to bring about the beautiful harvest that he wants, but he will have his harvest, and he wants to include us, and to the extent we can embrace it, have us embrace it in, in the process. So here are two questions as we close our time. How can you this week remain in his love, in relationship with him and his word, what might that specifically look like for you? And then number two, how can you this week love your brothers and sisters in Christ or love others around you with his help? Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you that when we face adversity, uh, 
we can embrace it. Um, we can we can we can see that it's because you're already bearing fruit in us, and and you want to increasingly bear fruit in us. What, what an amazing process! What what a wonderful sense of purpose in the midst of times that are otherwise hard. And thank you uh, most of all that this is what you've you've already done for us. So would you please help us to remain in your love and to love one another as you as you first loved us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.